Let me ask you a question. When you go through um, like a good season and you're looking at the next season, what do you tend to do next? Like, what do you tend to do next? Last year for us, 2018, was a, a pretty um, good, important, kind of um, uh, very unique season in, in a lot of great ways. It was a big year. And when you go through something in your life and you walk through something and, and you, you kind of come to the end of that season, what do you do next? Do you, there, I think there's two kind of reactions. Some people just like press cruise control. They're like, yeah, let's just, you know put it on 107 and just kind of, you know, um, or whatever, right? Uh, some people, uh, they're wired to like, let's climb, let's climb another big hill. Let's, what's the next thing? What's the next project? Uh, what's the next home renovation? You know, and like if you live in a home uh, and, uh, you know, maybe uh, between you and your spouse, it might be different. Like someone's like, oh, let's just kind of enjoy this. And the person who loves to do stuff is like, what, what are we going to do next? What wall do I got to break? You know, uh, and so there's two different kind of people. I'm uh, well with renovations. I tend to just put cruise control after it's done. But with other stuff, I tend to be like, yeah, what's next? You know, uh, what's the thing? And 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 uh, this past season we've been in as a church uh, has caused me to kind of stop and say, well, before thinking about what's next, as much as that's really important and exciting, questions like, and I think this r- relates to you and your personal life as well. What did I learn in the last season? Uh, how did the last season shape me? What challenges did I, did I discover? What did I learn about myself in the last season? What did I learn about God in this last season? I think those are really important questions for us to consider when we come to the end of something in between to the beginning of something else. And I'll put this question on the screen because I think it's so important. Because today I want to just pause from you know, some of the normal teaching we walk through and just, just um, have a pause to kind of reflect for ourselves as a church community and personally. But here's the question. What's the most important thing we can do with achievement behind us and opportunity before us? What's the most important thing we can do and regardless of how you define that achievement, with achievement behind us and opportunity before us. And I, I feel like that's kind of a little bit of what we're in. Not, that, not, that, you know, not to boast about what last year brought because we're, there was some struggle and sacrifice. Uh, but you know, God did some amazing things and our church community came together in really cool ways. And we sense that the Lord's continuing to work and leading us forward. Well, what do you do in between those times? And what does that mean for you even personally in your own life? What do you do in that moment? I want to turn to John 15, and it's a great section in John's gospel, because if you read through John's gospel as a whole, you'll notice that John paints this incredible huge picture of Jesus at the beginning of his gospel. Um, He starts to share some of his first and second and third miracles uh, as you read through that gospel. And then uh, there's a point, there's a shift that takes place And then he slowly moves to describing what happens at the cross and the resurrection and then pointing forward and what's God going to do with his disciples? What's God going to do after the resurrection? But in between, kind of chapters 14 to 17, there's this, there's this, it's a different kind of, um, we're reading something different there. And it's a little bit like an equipping section in John's gospel. We read about the Holy Spirit in John 14. We, we read about um, what we're going to talk about today, abiding in Christ in John 15. Uh, one of Jesus' prayers that John records, you know, he you know, records uh, it seems like all of it in John 17, this prayer for unity, uh, that we would be one with God and with one another. And so there's this in-between, in-between season. The miracles are done. This season of miracles and teachings and kind of like, wow, who is this Jesus person to... And then the cross is coming and resurrection and then the mission of the church. But then in between, there's this equipping season. 
And I think this section, and particularly we're going to read today, teaches us something in what to lean into in the next few months. And so I want to read just eight verses of John 15 together, and I'd like to read it um, a little bit more contemplatively. Like, in a sense, I'm, I'm not going to teach verse by verse out of it, but I'd like to read it slow and um, quietly for us to just let it, let it sit in and sink in. So, so I'm going to read it. You can either let it be read over you as you listen to it. You can follow along on the screen if you'd like. And then at the end of it, I'm going to pause for 20 or 30 seconds just to let you really invite the Lord to to speak to you through it, okay? So here we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing that you be my disciples." God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we invite you to work in our hearts and um, use these words from your Son to speak to us and lead us, even point to something beyond what, um, what I might say in the next few moments, um, to what you want us to hear and to what we need to hear from you, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great passage. Um. How many of you ever been into the States and, and, and eaten at that restaurant, Chick-fil-A? Like, kind of good chicken sandwiches? Well, the owner of, or the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, his name was Truett Cathy. And uh, there's this story that, uh, about him in a board meeting. And uh, during a time when the company was looking to grow and um, seeing, you know, where they can be in different cities. And so there's certain board members and people around this boardroom table that are talking about increasing and growing more franchises and getting bigger. And Truett Cathy, the founder of, the, of uh, Chick-fil-A, is listening and hearing the word bigger come up often. We've got to be bigger. We've got to do this bigger. We've got to be in more cities. We've got to do this and do that. And, uh, and just some background. I mean, Chick-fil-A has about 1,600 franchises in the States. And they're even closed on Sundays. And they're still competitive with other franchises. It's amazing in that, just in that regard. But Truett Cathy's listening to this. And he, he gets, he's getting a little frustrated. And he, he slams his hands on the table. And he says, no, our goal is not to be bigger. Our goal is to be better. And he tells you know, his VPs and managers and others, and he's like, you guys are just talking about getting bigger. And that's not the point. The point is we must get better. 
And true Cathy says, let's get better and then let bigger figure itself out. And so he shifts what's going on in the room. And it reminds me a little bit of, of this, this, this teaching Jesus is giving us in, in John um, 15. It doesn't, you know, I know none of us maybe run a restaurant, or maybe some of you do, but it's this difference between growth and health. This difference between wanting to see something bigger and bigger, or wanting to see something grow, versus the health behind it. And as Jesus uh, you know, shares these words with us, it's almost like he's telling us in the pursuit of growth, in the pursuit of fruit, or as he uses the word fruit, Jesus calls us to pursue health. And he never tells us to go out and necessarily be fruitful, but he's telling us if we want to grow, don't just pursue growth, pursue health. If you want to be fruitful, don't just pursue the fruit, pursue the health behind it. Now, we could talk about fruit in different ways. It could be spiritual maturity. It could be character development. It could be reaching our friends for Christ. It could be serving the neighborhood. It could be thriving relationships that we're in or financial freedom in some ways if we've been bound by debt and we grow out of that. So there's different ways that we can say, well, this is fruit or this is fruit. But bigger is not always better, right? Bigger is not always better, but health always leads to fruit. And I, I love that idea. This week, I uh, happened to meet this older man in the gym, and what was striking is that his face looked like he's 10 or 15 years older than me, but his body looked like he was 10 years younger than me. So that just kind of put me on like, I should listen to what this guy has to say. So, so uh, he, he caught me at the end of, as I was leaving, and I tried to do these, um, these uh, chin-ups, you know, I was talking about that. And then he's like, he cheered me on, you know, and you can see that he's like just been in this pursuit for years, you know. And then he starts talking about the younger guys in the gym, which made me feel old at that moment. But he's like, he goes, all these younger guys, you know, they take this, this chemical stuff and they try and fill themselves up. All they want to do is be big. All they want to do is be big. Now, he's pretty big. I mean, I'd say he's big. He's strong. But he was talking. He's like, all they want to do is get bigger. And what they're doing is just trying to, like, fill their body with this junk. And he's like, that's going to mess them up. That's going to hurt them. So I'm just listening to him talk. And it made me realize there's this, there's this sometimes pursuit, whether it's physical or other parts of our lives, where we're just looking to look good or to be good or to be bigger in some way. And yet there's a danger sometimes in the paths we take towards that. Jesus tells us that health, in this passage, he says there's two main ingredients to, to understanding this. One is that we are part of God's garden. Jesus calls God the gardener. Some versions call God the vine dresser, the gardener, that we are being cultivated in God's garden. And the second thing is that we are connected to Jesus. The, the, the way to pursue health is, one, make sure you're in God's garden, He's the cultivator. Secondly, be connected to Jesus. Abide is the word. The version we read was remain, but some of your versions will say abide. Abiding is the context for health. So it means when we abide with Jesus, we're, we're learning to live in Jesus. We're learning to learn from Jesus. We feed off Jesus. And all this is in the context of God's care and God's guidance. Jesus is amazing in ways that he, he would love to use agricultural uh, illustrations when he would talk in the first century. And it made sense because people got it, right? He talked about this, this sower sowing seeds. He talked about a mustard seed plant growing. Um, he, he's talked about, you know, the weed and the wheats growing. He, he talks about how the kingdom grows and he talks about farmers. And here in this passage, he talks about vines and branches. And I think we get this idea that, that 
Jesus sees our spiritual growth and our community growth very similar to plants and vegetables in a sense where healthy soil and lots of watering and paying attention and discerning the seasons of winter and spring and fall and summer and also the pruning away of the things that rob the plants or the crops, the energy, is similar to how God longs for us to grow and how Jesus invites us to pursue health. And, you know, maybe this doesn't affect uh, all of us in the same way, but if you, if you read a little bit in Christian circles or the evangelical world or, you know, ways in, like, how to, how to serve in church ministry, too often the only question the church asks is, how can I grow? Too often the only question the church asks in some of these articles and leadership things is, like, how can I grow? And yet Jesus asks, where are you plugged into? Where are you plugged into? And what needs to be pruned from your life? So often we want to say, well, how can I, how can I get bigger? And how can I grow this? And how can I grow that? Jesus is saying, are you plugged in? Is there anything in your life that needs to be pruned that's stopping you from growth? He's asking different questions. And God, in some ways, has been getting my attention about the season we're in. Partly my own spiritual health and the spiritual health of our church community. And yet it's, it's counterintuitive, right? Like we're in this brand new space and uh, we, you know, we saw like our largest Christmas gathering ever, almost, you know, over 300 people in our space a couple of times this last fall when our launch and at Christmas, we've seen requests for this space come in. We saw our, one of our largest years of sacrificial giving in 2018. And it, it's counterintuitive because sometimes you just want to say, okay, great, what's next? What's next? How, what other big hill are we going to climb? Well, I remember reading the story of Eugene Peterson, who translated the, the version of the Bible called The Message, the paraphrase. Uh, he said that one, he, he pastored a church for 27 years in the Baltimore area. So they built this church building. It was wonderful. And then he went to go see someone from the church. He hadn't seen them for like a few weeks or actually a couple of months. He was concerned. So he went to see them, and he realized that whoever he went to see, this guy, he, would, he started to go fishing on Sundays. He lost a little bit of interest because the church was just coming out of this exciting season, and he's like, well, you know, we're all good. The building's built, and I'm just going to go fishing a couple, of month, a couple of times a month. So Eugene Peterson went back to his denominational leader and says, what do you think I should do? His denominational leader says, build another building. He's like, I don't want to build another building. I don't, I don't think we need a builder. And he's like, but we're American. We build buildings. So that's going to excite your people. And it was like, no, that can't be the way that God's leading, uh, God's leading us to do. There has to be something else. We can't just keep building stuff to keep people attentive. And that's the pull in our culture, even church culture. Now, I believe that we're, you've heard me say this phrase, that we're ripe with opportunity around us as we move forward into the future. I'm so excited about that. And of course, we want to lean into that opportunity. But what's the most important thing we can do between achievement and opportunity? What's the most important thing we can do? And I think it's a health check. It's saying, let's check our health. See, too often, um, people go see a doctor only when they're really sick, right? Right? Or people go see a counselor only when their relationships are a big mess. Or people only go to the gym when they, when they can't even walk up a set of stairs. So it's like, oh, right when I'm at the end of my ropes, right when I'm at the end of this, right when I can't do this or I can't do that, or when this big issue is happening, then I'm going to go see this person. Then I'm going to check my health. Then I'm going to go get a blood test. And um, 
Stephanie saw that health check was on, on our, on our kind of order of our gathering today. She's like, are you doing a blood test on stage or something? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's just what the message is called. But, but here's the question. Why, why pursue health? Do you only pursue health out of desperation? Why pursue health? Well, because it's healthy. I know that's a pretty obvious answer. And you're like, that's why I came to church today. Just to, like, why pursue health? Because it's healthy. And healthy things grow. But we don't just pursue growth. We pursue health. And when we pursue health, the opportunities that are before us, we can actually start to discern them and see them in the way God wants us to see them. And we can say, oh, Lord, this is the opportunity you want us to jump into. Or this is the opportunity you don't want us to jump into. Or this is not the kind of church that you're shaping us to be. But when we jump from one thing to another and neglect health, we sometimes miss that. Here's just a couple of things maybe on the screen, a phrase. that this. Think about it this way. Growth overflows from health, and health shapes growth. But if it's the other way around, we usually fall into a dangerous spot. So what does health look like? What does abiding look like? What does it mean if Jesus' words are true, if he, if he longs for us to bear much fruit, but his imperative command to us is abide? His imperative command wasn't go bear fruit. His imperative command was abide in me. Right? If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. But Jesus didn't say go and bear much fruit. He said, no, abide in me. What does that look like? Well, it starts, with, it starts with our heart. And it starts with actually looking at our heart. This is a, maybe a famous proverb that you might be aware of, Proverbs 4, uh, 23. And it says this. this is, maybe you've seen this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If you read all of Proverbs 4, you're going to read words like discipline a lot, um, you're going to read, you're going to even read earlier on, a few verses earlier, the, the, the writer of this proverb, as he shares this wisdom, actually says, protect your discipline. So there's something strong, important about, about discipline, about choosing focus, about being intentional, about growing in wisdom and growing in understanding. And this proverb, if you read the whole thing, will say that. But as the, the proverb writer comes to verse 23, as he outlines this whole poem, he says, but above all else... Every, above everything else, guard your heart or protect your heart. Read it in four or five versions and get the beauty of, of what that means. The heart, the word heart in, in, in Hebrew really is, is more than just your heart. It's really the seed of who you are. In fact, for, for the Hebrew language, mind and heart and soul was, was never something that was disconnected. It wasn't like, well, this is your mind like the Greek world, and this is your heart, and then this is your will. No, all of it was together. In fact, even the idea of our bodies, souls, and minds, there was a word in Hebrew called nefesh, and it just it really implies everything. So I can imagine that, in fact, if you read one version, I think it's the NRSV, it says, protect your mind. And you might like, wait a second, I thought I had to protect my heart. But according to Hebrew understanding, no, no, your heart and your mind, they're together. It's the core of who you are. It's, it's, it's the core of your being. And then why protect it? Because everything you do flows from it. Because your decisions and your relationships and, uh, and your discernment and how you choose to use your money and, and where you want to grow in wisdom, all of that flows out of your heart. Your mind, heart, soul, all together. So health starts with looking at your heart. 
so vital. And maybe I should have done a blood test today because then it would indicate where, you know, how my heart's doing. But the reality is, is that that's where it starts. So here's a couple of things to think about as we, we think about this coming season. Is first, how do we do this? Well, we start to monitor our hearts. Have you ever done something and paused and said, why am I doing this? I don't mean why, like what's the purpose of what I'm doing, but what's the motive in what I'm doing? Am I doing this to get something out of somebody else or am I doing this to bless somebody else? Am I doing this because this makes me look good or am I doing this to serve somebody? Am I doing this to gain a foothold in you know, some kind of something that's really going to benefit me? And that the benefit's not wrong, but you're asking your, the motive question. When we monitor our heart, we start looking at our motives. We start looking at our attitudes. How do I feel when I do this? Um, am I like always mad when I'm doing this? Am I mad at everybody else around me when I'm doing this? What kind of energy do I have when I, when I do this? So monitoring our heart is, like, is, is looking at, am I anxious when I'm, when I'm doing this? Am, am I avoiding conflict? Am I fearful of something? Am I afraid of something? Or am I joyful when I pursue this? And so monitoring your heart is going to take a couple of things. I think one of the things it's going to take is that we're in a community. So we let, just like our previous series in Brokenness, we let other people in, and they can ask us questions. Like, you can ask them questions. Do you notice if I'm anxious or not when I serve in this way? Do you notice if I... If when I have a conflict with someone, do you notice if I back away or deal with it or do I not talk to them? What do I do? Do, do, you, do you notice my energy? Am I joyful, you know, when I do this? Am I joyful when I serve with the kids or am I joyful when I'm playing the keyboard or, you know, uh, setting up or doing something? And I know that's just about serving here, but just in general, and community input's important. But you know what's very, very vital for this is solitude. When we stop and pause and just allow ourselves even the space to be on our own, to reflect and think and say, why, like, how are my motives? How am I feeling about this? The last 18 months or so, I've shifted my scripture reading into starting every, almost every day with a psalm. And I follow, I, I don't just follow the psalm straight through, I'm following like the common book of prayer and, and you know, I'm not in the Anglican tradition, we're not in the Anglican tradition, but I, I love how the common book of prayer has this wonderful selection of psalms throughout the year. And so it often starts with one or two psalms. And w- this is what I've noticed when I was reading over this last little while. And you don't notice it at first, but you start to notice that, that the psalms actually expose, like their emotions are exposed that sometimes a psalm writer is so happy and joyful and celebrative. Sometimes a psalm writer expresses their lament and their, 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 their sorrow. And sometimes a psalm writer really talks about how fearful they are in the moment or what they're fearing. Or, you know, sometimes they're expressing their strength and their confidence in God. Sometimes they're expressing their weakness. And what's beautiful about that is that as we let the Psalms read us and we see how, how the Psalm writers express their emotions, we start saying, oh, maybe I have these emotions sometimes. Maybe I feel this way or that way. Have I ever thought about it? Have I ever let anybody into that? And so this idea of monitoring our hearts means actually understanding how we feel about things. Read the Psalms, you'll see that it's a variety of emotions. In fact, there's one whole, Bible, one whole book in our Bible called Lamentations. I know it's a sad word. Who wants to lament? But they had to lament for some reason. And there's a book in our Bible called Lamentations because they were not afraid to let their emotions be 
seen or understood. So monitor your heart. The second thing is monitor your, your time. How do we learn to grow in healthy ways is monitoring our time because the way we pace ourselves and the rhythm we have for life. But here's a big question. Where is my time growing? Uh, going? Where is my time going? So think about it. Health takes time, right? Like just your general health takes time. But unhealthy stuff takes your time. They both involve time. So health actually takes time. It doesn't just happen. Unhealthy stuff takes your time. So it's so vital to monitor your time. What's fueling your life? What's taking life from you? And one of the ways we do that is not just by, by solitude, but actually learning to slow down. And we have this beautiful thing in the scriptures, right from the creation story called Sabbath, where we understand that we are called to pause. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's something that's reiterated over the life of history, uh, out of Israel, the, the life of Israel. It's, it's a practice that says, I will not continue seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I will not be, be overly occupied seven days a week with my income and with my benefit and with doing this and with doing that, that I will stop, I will pause. We don't have time to get into the whole idea of Sabbath, but the scriptures lead us to say, how do we monitor our time? Are we actually stopping and pausing? You, you being here today is, in your, in, for you specifically, is saying, I'm pausing my life. I'm not going to make money right now. I'm not going to check your email. And if you are right now, stop checking your email. But, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to engage in the things that kind of like make my life run. And for me, it's a little bit differently because I'm teaching most Sundays and thinking about this. So I specifically try and, you know, have a 24-hour period where I, where because, because part of my, 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 I guess, life and ministry and work is all like a tangled web for me. I'm just being honest. So, I, it's difficult for me because I need to sometimes say, I'm not going to you know, um, respond to this email or think about my next message or whatever. I'm just going to stop. Because just like you, in a way, feel like, oh my gosh, if I don't get this project done, I feel like, hey, if I don't think about the next message, then I, I'm not going to speak as clear and something's going to happen or this person needs something. And so there's, uh, there's this temptation we have as humans. And Sabbath is a corrective for that that points us to God and says we can rest in him. We can rest in him. We need to monitor our time. The last thing is we need to monitor our distractions. We need to monitor our distractions or monitor your distractions. So vital. Uh, If you go to the next slide, it's an interesting piece. This was on the cover of um, GQ magazine or one of their articles. And um, Cal Newport wrote this article and he states in this, the, the subtitle of this article is this. One day... We will talk about cell phones the way we talk about cigarettes today. That was the title of the article. One day, down the road, in 10 or 15 or 20 years, we're going to talk about cell phones like we talk about cigarettes today from 20 or 30 years ago. And, and it, it's, it's fascinating because the guy who wrote the, art, or the interview, it was with this guy named Cal Newport. And uh, he teaches um, computer science at George, George Tech University or Georgetown University. Um, this guy was, had already started and, and failed a little bit with a, a startup company in the tech world when Facebook was kicking off. So he says in the article, the two reasons I didn't join Facebook is, one, I hate sharing lists about myself. 
This is the first thing. He's like, I just don't like sharing lists about myself and lists of my favorite things, and I hate that whole self-fame thing, so that's why I didn't join Facebook. The second reason he didn't join Facebook, he said, I was jealous of Mark Zuckerberg. I didn't want to give his product a light of day because my product just died. So those are the two reasons he never joined Facebook. And, but he looks back and he said, jealousy, at least in that moment, I'm not giving you a principle, actually served him well <laughs> because he said, uh, I, I need to live my life differently. And he wrote a book called Deep Work. And this guy learned um, a couple of computer languages by, by learning to be closed up in a room for three or four hours with no distractions. And he wrote, that's why I called the, the book Deep Work. He, was, he grew and grew with this ability not to be distracted. And so it was his thoughtfulness and his growth there that actually helped him in the life that he was leading or his career. It wasn't social media. It wasn't like if everybody knows me or everybody knows that I do this or I do that. In fact, you can hardly email this guy. And he wrote a book recently called Digital Minimalism. And he encourages people to go on a 30-day um, you know, like detox from unless you really need it for work and life to, to 30-day detox from, from social devices or social media devices. And the article says this, in a world of health and wellness, digital minimalism might be the next frontier. You know how so long it's like, you know, eat well and now our new four, four food groups in Canada has been revised. It's really important, you know, for nutrition and, you know, be active and blah, blah, blah. They're saying in a world of health and wellness, digital minimalism might be the next frontier because it's just, it's sucking everybody up. Monitor our distractions. And I'm going to tell, can you, can you just say that to me? Dave, monitor your distractions. Can you say it? Please, everybody together. Dave. Thank you. I heard you. Okay. It's very important. One of the ways that we grow in this is silence, is to practice silence. The world is catching on to this, but the scriptures and even Christian traditions over the centuries have understood this. We were in a prayer meeting on our abide evening uh, once a month on a Tuesday. Yes, come to the next one. It's awesome. But honestly, this is what happened. Somebody read, we, people were, some people read scripture, and they read Psalm 131. And I had read this psalm just in my daily psalm reading about a month earlier. When they read this psalm in the, in the moment of our prayer time, again, it was, it was just, it was this, this clarity that, of what it means to quiet ourselves. And, and it spoke to me, and I hope it speaks to you. Psalm 131 too. This is just the first part of this verse. Look what it says. I have calmed and quieted my soul. When I read that, I realized that sometimes we say, well, be silent or just stop. But I read that and I said, that's my responsibility. The psalm writer says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. That's so vital that we learn to be silent, to quiet our souls. Why? Because we are always enamored with distractions. The, the message translates it this. It's not on the screen. Just listen. I have kept my feet on the ground. I have cultivated a quiet heart. I have cultivated a quiet heart. In the middle of a world and a culture that is just getting our attention all the time. 
in, in the middle of a world and culture where there's vortexes that can just suck us up into their activity and into their messaging and into their, 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 you know, their, their, their attention grabbing at us. As Christ followers, and even if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, you can take this important step. Learn to cultivate a quiet heart. I will calm and quiet my soul. We bring all this together and the solitude, the slowing down, the silence, the scripture, the monitoring our heart and time and distractions, and it will help us pay attention to even the smaller details in our lives that God wants to work, right? Jesus says that God wants to prune parts of the branches that are connected to Jesus, and and those sometimes are small details that God wants to work in us and fine-tune us Sometimes it's the smallest details. So this, this older guy that I met at the gym that was really helpful and, and you could tell was very experienced in this, he, he cheered me on. Like, like He's like, good, man. It's good that you're trying to do some chin-ups. And I'm like, okay. And, he, and, and I, I was like, I, I was almost hesitant to tell him the number I'm trying to reach because, you know, it's like that could just be like so small for him, you know? And he says, he, he, he's, he, as I got down, he's like, hey, listen, uh, your chin-ups... It's not all, it's not your arms and your back and your shoulders. He's like, it's in the wrist. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, it's in the wrist. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, when you build your wrists, this, just this little part of your arm, it's going to help you do what you want to do. And I'm like, oh, I, didn't, I, never, I never thought of that. And it's interesting because sometimes the smallest parts that God wants to work on, God wants to fine-tune, God wants to prune or shape or change or grow, we completely dismiss them. And yet, sometimes it's those, those small things that God wants to do that we think, oh, it's the big thing, it's the noticeable thing, it's this muscle, it's that muscle, it's this part of my life. And when we're attentive to the Holy Spirit, when we're monitoring our heart and our time and our distractions and we're abiding with Jesus, all of a sudden we give room to the Holy Spirit to say, this, right here, you don't realize, but this is a gate into what I want to do in your life. This is a door in something um, deep, a deeper place I want to take you. This is going to grow the kind of fruit that your heart longs for. And most of us miss the details that the Holy Spirit wants to get our attention about. And we remain blind unless we monitor our heart, time, and distractions. Unless we abide in Christ. Unless we say, God, you're the gardener. Cultivate. There is a fruitfulness before us, but only when we Pursue the health that Jesus longs for us and abide in him. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close this morning. And, um, you know, you, you saw the video today for, for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Steph talked to us about it. And um, I, I want to just, just for a moment, because one, one of the reasons we're, we're um, bringing um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this course, and some other things, you know, we were going to have this day yesterday to how to read the Bible better uh, and that's going to come back in, in April. Unfortunately, we'll pray for Glenn Smith. He wasn't doing well, and so he wanted to give us 120% of his energy. And so he says, if you don't mind, if you can postpone it, I want to be there like 100% for you guys. So I said, okay, we'll do that. Part of that is, is, you know, how do we grow? Obviously, abiding in Christ means engaging the scriptures. These are kind of things we want to see happen, and so that's why we're, we're doing this and some other things. But emotionally healthy spirituality is a particular key piece because uh, Pete Scazzaro, if you come to the course, you'll hear him say this. And I love this line. It's like, Jesus is in, if you're following Jesus, Jesus is in your blood. I mean, not literally, but it's a metaphor. Jesus is in your blood, but grandpa is in your bones. Catch that? So 
My, the God I serve is a God of Sabbath, is a God that I can rest in, is a God that I can find content in, contentment in. But the worrying gene that my mother gave me sometimes feels like it makes it stronger. Do you know? Does that make sense to you? Jesus is in our bone, but grandpa uh, in our blood, but grandpa's in our bones. And and one one of the things that emotionally healthy spirituality course will help us do is 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 not replace our spiritual growth with something else, but discern what are some of the walls that have been in the way of my spiritual growth. What are some of the things that I have not allowed God to come in and transform and work on? What are some of the ways that I haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to work in? What, what are some of the biblical truths that are still biblical truths and strong and active, but because I haven't uh, uh, noticed that the, these other things are actually like this big hurdle, this big wall that doesn't even let me get there. And so it's really key in, in, in encouraging you. If there's been parts of your life say, I want to grow but sometimes I feel like there's walls there. And whether that's how you use your time, uh, you know, how distracted you might be, uh, areas of your past, um, learning, to, learning to really understand Sabbath and, and, and really trusting in the Lord in that. These are going to be things that ends up, end up just breaking open so you can continue to grow spiritually. It's not a replacement. It's a breaking out so we can keep growing spiritually. And guys, you can start playing and we'll, we'll end with this. Remember, Jesus didn't say, believe and be fruitful, right? Jesus did say, you know, believe in me and rivers of the living water will flow through you. That's a promise. Jesus does say, believe in me and my life will begin to flow in you. But it was interesting that, that you know, because in chapter 7, Jesus said, believe in me and living waters will flow from you. Down in chapter 14, we read Jesus' teaching to his disciples, abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. And we're part of, a, I guess, a larger evangelical church stream. And evangelical Christianity is often a doing Christianity. Do, 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 do. Grow, 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 grow. Reach, 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 reach. And I, I love that. God has called us for the Great Commission. A contemplative Christianity is focus on dwelling. Dwelling with God. Dwelling with Jesus. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. We need both. We need to be doers, but we need to be dwellers. We need both. And there's a warning that Jesus says, if you do not abide in me, we can't miss that. If you don't abide in me, if you don't remain in me, if you are not connected with me, if, and I'll just kind of read into this, if you are not in the gardener's care, you will not bear much fruit. That's a warning. You will not bear much fruit. And it's the kind of fruit that your heart longs for and Jesus wants for you is the fruit when we're connected to him, when we're abiding in him, when we're in the gardener's care. So activity and numbers is not the goal. Bigger is not the goal. Fruitfulness is the end result. Abiding is the goal. Dwelling in him. Amen? I want, to, I want us to, to end um, this morning singing just... Um, the bridge and chorus or the chorus and bridge of the, the last song we sang today and I think it, it reflects our heart that we would build our lives on Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we do this and, and here are two, two last questions that there'll be, you can find them on our podcast on iTunes, you can find them on our website but the last two questions are this, okay? Just, and, and I just want you to take these home with you uh, and I want to say them now. What are you plugged into 
Is it abiding in Jesus? What are you plugged into? And what needs to be pruned in your life? What are you plugged into? What needs to be pruned in your life? Let's take a moment and come before the Lord as the team leads us into um, using the words of this song to make a decision to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to build my life. I want you to build our church. I want you to build our mission. I want you to build our leadership. I want you to build um, our hearts. I want to, I step into a posture of abiding with you. Only you can build my life. Only you can build my heart. Only you can build this church. God, as we come to you in prayer, we're grateful. You are the great gardener. Our life is in your care, under your guidance. And yet, you don't force us, coerce us. We must allow you to cultivate our hearts and lives. So we, in our prayer, God, say we are We entrust ourselves into your care, into your leadership, into your guidance. God, we pray you would give us such a beautiful picture of life with you, of who you are. Such an incredible picture as we sang in this song that you would open up our eyes to wonder. God, that that picture, that vision, be thou our vision, O oh God, that our that vision of you would draw us, would give us a longing in our heart to abide in Jesus, your son, to give you full reins as the gardener of our life because we trust in you alone and we long for our life, yes, to be fruitful. But God, we long for you. May our vision, our desire for you come before our desire for growth or fruitfulness so we can grow out of our relationship with you. God, we bring our church before you in this beautiful, unique season we're in. We know the future is ripe with opportunity, but we long to be a people who are rooted in you and your son and the power of your Holy Spirit. And we long to allow you to intricately deal with the things in our lives that inhibit our growth, that inhibit our relationship with you, that inhibit our spiritual maturity. So God, we surrender to that. and We want to we do the work that, that your Holy Spirit empowers us to, God. We know that it doesn't rest on us. We know that it's not our merit, but we also want to be people who pay attention. It's, we can never earn it, but you invite us to the journey and to the effort as your grace and Holy Spirit works in us. So we determine that, God, and trust you for this, Lord. And I pray, God, anyone who's lifted up their hands today, in Jesus' name, we just come against any of this bondage or yoke, distraction, baggage, generational ties. In Jesus' name, we trust you to break these things for freedom to move and grow in you. We welcome that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.